Welcome to the Grow Your Practice podcast. Hi, I'm your host, Chad Madden, owner of Madden Physical Therapy and Breakthrough. Join me each week as we dive into the best practices, systems, principles, tips, and tricks to help you grow your private practice. Great. So in our live Q&A here this week, this month, what we're going to do is go over how to identify your ideal patient. And I put together this sheet, um, and I'll share this with everybody on the call here in the chat here in a second. But um, the idea is, the objective of this is that ultimately you want to identify exactly who you're marketing to. And the reason that we want to do that is so you're better aligned as you're trying to match up your market, your target market, the message, and also the media selection that you have. So in working with, again, a couple thousand owners at this point, private practice owners, what we'll typically say is, you know, especially if we're desperate to fill our schedule or fill up our, our clinic space, we'll say, you know, I'll see any, I'll take anybody, something like that. Or, you know, I want to track this very specific niche. So an athlete, you know, I, I can remember um, talking with a marketing person very early on, one of the first patients who came through and she wanted me to hire her and her marketing agency. And she said, well, you played college baseball, meaning that I play, she knew about my background. I wasn't a very good baseball player. Uh, but she said, you know, you, sh you should really target baseball players. And that was a short-lived conversation. I'll explain why here in a second. Um, the a, Another pitfall or something that we'll say is, you know, we are marketing. We deliver high quality of care and we rely on word of mouth referrals. By the way, that is universal in private practice, uh, not just physical therapists, but podiatrists, chiropractors, uh, many physicians. It actually stems from uh, early AMA uh, guidelines that that's how we should market ourselves is provide high quality of care and rely on word of mouth referrals and let our work stand on its own. Um, and other thing that we'll say is you can fill in the blank with whatever type of marketing media this doesn't work. So it might be patient newsletters, direct mail, postcards, print ads, radio, television, Facebook, TikTok, Google, etc. I don't know if you can mute that. Thanks. Thanks, Andrea. Um, the And if this is the first time that you've been on one of these, just really quick housekeeping, uh, I'll talk through this sheet for 15 minutes or so, and then we'll open it up for q and I know there's pre-submitted questions already. There are a couple ways that you can interact. Uh, one, you can unmute yourself here in uh, 10 or 15 minutes. Um, the second thing you can do is just type a question either in the chat or the Q&A. Circling back to the fourth thing that we say here in terms of blank doesn't work. This is probably nine or 10 years ago, Carl Mattiola, founder here at Breakthrough. And at that time, Carl was the head of online sales at Tesla Motors. Um, he had surveyed, uh, I believe it was 300 private practice owners and asked them the number one thing that, or the uh, number one thing that they had ever done to market their practice. And then also the biggest mistake that they had ever made in marketing their private practice and their services. And oddly, when the results came in, those two lists looked eerily similar. And I think there were, especially the one in Biggest Mistake, there were 37 unique answers. And they included everything from elements of swag, so 
swag stands for stuff we all get. That's t-shirts and coffee mugs and fun stuff like that and stress balls um, to you know school programs, um, all the legacy media, radio, television, print, direct mail, uh, social media types, websites, everything that you can possibly imagine. It was on both lists. And it took us probably uh, three to four months of looking over the list to truly realize that 100% of the answers were only focused on the media selection. So as private practice owners, and we're not, you know, most of us don't have a marketing background. Uh, we have a clinical background, a science background, a license. We don't really understand marketing. And in the end, those three things have to line up. So the real problem is, you know, when we're thinking about this, all patients are the same. And we, and we view it that way because most of us have gone through a story. When we were in high school or maybe undergraduate, uh, we, we decided that we wanted to become a, a physical therapist, uh, a clinician, a chiropractor, podiatrist, dentist, optometrist, whatever your specific uh, clinical skill set and licensure is. And we did that because we wanted to help people. We then went to our college or university, earned our degree. And along those lines, most of us were, at least in my education and many of the other practice owners that I've talked with, their education, it was high quality of care and word of mouth referrals. If you rely on that, you're going to be extremely reliable or extremely valuable in the marketplace. We then get out of school and most of us discover that's not really true, right? Yes, we can. Um, that's important, but it's really tough to build a business around just delivering high quality of care and relying on word of mouth referrals alone. And so there's some resent resentment there. Having said that, and knowing that's our backstory, all patients are the same is we'll almost feel guilty if we start thinking about you know, for example, I have an outpatient orthopedic practice. You know, it's valuable for us to look at. We've done everything from post mastectomy lymphedema to uh, incontinence and biofeedback to vestibular. Uh, we, we treat all sorts of vestibular issues, um, balance, etc. Uh, and then we also treat a lot of spine, so back pain, neck pain, and common orthopedic problems with shoulder. Uh, primarily rotator cuff injuries and hip knee, et cetera. And then we see gait training and ankle sprains and everything else. But when we look at our data, when we look at it, um, one of the least valuable uh, people for us to see is BPPV. Now we've had Sue Whitney, one of the leading researchers in the world into our clinic multiple times. She actually, her sister lives close to us here in Lancaster. All of our clinicians are trained in it um, in terms of, uh, vestibular rehab, the the diagnosis, treatment, assessment, et cetera. We're amazing at that. But when we look at that in terms of specifically targeting that type of patient, um, it is by far our lowest plan of care value. It, it We literally cannot spend any money at all um, in marketing to attract that type of patient. It just doesn't make sense. On the other end, we have rotator cuff and shoulder problems. And when we market for that type of patient, it's the, the business end of things is significantly more valuable uh, to our practice. So we focus a lot there. It's easier to stand out, et cetera. 
but most practice owners, when we're talking about this, is they'll know their average. They might know their, you know, their visit average in terms of reimbursement or revenue. They, um, but they won't go beyond that to think about diagnosis or any other uh, variable at all. They, they won't really know their numbers. So no discernment is an issue. You can discern, differentiate by diagnosis, by treatment compliance. For example, um, when we have targeted and tested cervicogenic headaches in the past, um, it was the lowest treatment compliance of any patient that we had ever attracted before. Um, some areas are different, um, at least in our area here in central PA, it, it was not favorable by any means. Um, payer mix is another one. You know, you can influence your payer mix by specifically through marketing, uh, willingness to pay. You know, some people are very willing to pay their 40 or $75 copay or their hundred, um, dollar a visit cash pay rate or whatever your cash pay rate is. Um, and others are not right. So we can start thinking through of all the patients we've treated. Some are more willing to pay than others, others. And then the other one is word of mouth potential, which I'll circle back to here in a second. And by the way, this list could be a lot longer, but the real problem is again, very little discernment at all. Why is this important for us to solve? Well, in order for us to have effective marketing, and by effective, I mean that we can produce consistency whenever we want to do it, do it right? Regardless of a slow season or whatever it is, we know the levers to pull um, in order to get that steady flow of that consistent flow of patients coming through the door. It relies, and the foundation of that is we have to identify our target market. We have to match that up with the message, the language that that target market uses, and then also the media type that they're using and that we're using it in the way that that target market is using it as well. So it, it all starts with target market. If they're not aligned, we're likely wasting money. And it's very, it's very easy to do. I could tell a lot of stories on this and how things have changed over time. But every time that we had a media type that we saw the performance drop off, we always go back and identify the target market first. And then once we've identified that, then we go through um, our messaging and also the, the way the media is being used. And I'll give you an example with that. Um, you and I have all treated patients. Some of them respond really well to the treatment. And every once in a while, we'll have an outlier who doesn't respond to our treatment at all. Typically, um, unless there's some sort of misdiagnosis, that person has other situation another situation going on, right? So, you know, maybe they have a, a smoking history, cardiac history, other comorbidities going on. Maybe they have very high levels of stress um, in their life for long periods of time. Maybe they're not getting adequate nutrition. Um, maybe they have very poor sleep. Anytime that we see somebody like that, they're likely, their recovery and their response to treatment is going to be typically a lot slower. That example, it, it, as, as necessary, to healing as stress, nutrition, and sleep are, stress management, nutrition, and sleep are, that's how important and foundational identifying your target market is. It's the most important thing. It's almost impossible to market if you're not doing this step first. Some of the pitfalls and barriers, one, it's work. And by the way, we can walk somebody through live here. If there are any volunteers, you can just type your name in the chat. More than happy to walk somebody through. But it is work. Um, the, 
the another pitfall is it's very easy to mistake um, a marketing strategy and getting discernment. And you know, when I when I'll talk with and have one-on-one conversations with owners, sometimes when we're going through and talking about payer mix or willingness to pay, there's uh, they perceive that it's a violation of you know a social or political norm. Making a good business decision about where you're spending, investing your marketing dollars has nothing to do with being politically correct. They're completely separate worlds and you can make good business decisions um, and, you know, stay true and authentic and copacetic and everything else, legal, compliant, ethic, ethical, everything else. Um, the other thing is, it, it, at least in my own experience, like once I stumbled upon this and figured it out, and it was outside of private practice PT. Um, the the most difficult thing was I I didn't I couldn't play victim anymore. <laughs> in terms of you know there's a reason that my practice is failing. You know I couldn't blame it on the hospital systems employing ninety percent plus of the physicians in the market. Um, I I couldn't blame it on anything else. I really had to take accountability for what we were doing and and go through this process. And um, if this is new to you, you know you, you might have to go through that same exact thing. So how do we do it? And I'll walk you through this. Um, and I pulled this from uh, one of the first trainings that we ever did. It was a course called Killer Marketing. I think we ran it 23 times, 24 times. And uh, this is also outlined in uh, our the book that I wrote with Carl back in maybe 2015, 2016 called Killer Marketing Secrets. And um, yeah, so one of the earlier chapters is how to ideal identify your avatar or your ideal client. So the first thing to do is to write down, just think of, you can brainstorm for a second, the 10 most favorite patients that you've ever treated. So the person that when you saw them on your schedule, you're like, oh, like today's going to be a good day. I'm really looking forward to, uh, you know, interacting with this person, treating them. So just write that. You can start a, a list, a mental list or a physical list, write down who comes to mind, right? And then you can start to think through some of the psycho and, uh, and demographics, psychodemographics that that person had. So, you know, were they male or female? Were they uh, family? This says family related or family oriented. Um, what was their age? You know, what did you have in common? Uh, where did they work? Where did they grow up? Like what were some of the, what was the condition that you were treating? Um, you can start to think through, through it that way. For most clinicians, having gone through this exercise before, typically one of the things that will bubble up is they respected me for my expertise. They valued the, the, the treatment that I was prescribing and, and giving. That's a, it's a really significant factor. So you can go through that exercise um, and and get your 10. And it's an arbitrary number. It could be five or 50, whatever whatever number you think is right. But 10 usually gets you pretty close to honing in on what those people have in common, which is step number two. Just think through those people and, and what do you see? I remember the first time that I had heard this and went through the exercise myself, um, the the one thing that they had in common is so i think eight of the ten fell in uh to the 45 to 64 year old 
family-oriented female. And getting back to, and I know we have a pre-submitted question around this, but what if I want to attract athletes? There was a reason that I've, I've shied away from specifically targeting athletes. Now, we get the star quarter, high school quarterbacks, we get the D1 players, we get everything else in between. Um, here's why. When you target the 45 to 64-year-old family-oriented mother, grandmother, she brings in her children. She is very social. When I target the 17-year-old quarterback who just signed you know, a, a D1 offer, he doesn't want to be in PT. He's not, he's not going to be social and say, hey, by the way, I'm hurt, I'm injured, and I'm doing knee rehab. And he wants to be out of our clinic out through treatment as quickly as possible, right? And and back training again. So it was an early lesson that I learned. And uh, I'll, I'll share a quick story here. Um, and Andrea just flagged me if I go too long on this story. Um, we, early, this is six months into practice. Um, I was treating a 15 year old baseball player, and again, I had, I played college baseball, was not good. Um, but I have this affinity for baseball, 15 year old baseball player throwing in the mid eighties is a stud athlete, loving working with this kid. And so, and he had a shoulder injury. We're working through it. And there was somebody waiting for me, uh, mother, grandmother, exactly what I'm describing. Uh, just saw her recently, by the way, and told her that I'm still telling the story 19 years later. Um, but, uh, anyhow, when I was done, she said, do you like working with that young man? And I said, absolutely. And she said, I can tell, you know, you seem like you're really excited. And she said, just out of curiosity, when he leaves here, how many people do you think he's telling about the, the treatment that you're giving him? And I said, well, that's a pretty good point. Probably nobody. And uh, she was like, I, I think you're right. And she said, you know, when I, like I sat here and waited for you for 10 minutes, she said, when I leave here, do you know who I tell? And I said, I have no idea. And she said, everybody. And then she went through like all the social activities, all the, you know, each one of her children that she told about coming in for PT and how I was helping her. Now they were both shoulder patients, probably separated by four or five decades at very different places in her life. The 15 year old is not paying for his own care. She is right. And she's very social. So for us, when I when I sat down and went through this exercise, I noticed a lot of those patients. Perfect time for a fire alarm. Um, a lot, a lot of the patients on my list fit um, exactly who she was. So again, we target with our marketing specifically that demographic, that psychodemographic, and then we get her husband um, or her partner. We get her children coming through. She brings them in. She schedules 70% of all medical appointments um, in the US within healthcare. And sometimes she brings her parents in. She's very social. If she is going to any social event, she's talking about it and what we've done for her. And um, it's a very good use of our, our marketing dollar. So you want to think this through this and work through this for you and your practice as well. And then you specifically want to name your ideal. Again, ours, if we get very specific, it's a 45 to 64-year-old family-oriented female. Um, 
she we have a, a household income that we look for. Um, she shops at Kohl's and Target and Hobby Lobby and goes to Starbucks and buys caramel macchiatos and all that fun stuff. In fact, we even put our clinics near uh, within proximity to those stores. Um, it guides where we we put our clinics. Uh, yeah, Hobby Lobby, Whole Foods, all that fun stuff as well. That's where she shops. And then we we understand where she lives and also where um, she shops. And then we put our clinics uh, on, a, on a common, uh, well-traveled route that's easy for her to access. But you want to start there. Then, so I'm going to stop here. Um, outside of saying that once you go through this exercise, then you can circle back and say, okay, 45 to 64 year old or whatever your target market is, what media are they using, right? If she's not on TikTok, we're not going to be on TikTok. If she's on Instagram, we're going to be on Instagram, right? And we're going to understand exactly how she uses it. If she's on Facebook, which she is, she's looking at pictures of her friends, children and grandchildren. I've watched my mom use Facebook already. It's a wild exercise to go through. Um, but that that's what you want to do. So you want to think about what media type are they using? And then how do they talk about the problems that they're having, the health challenges that you're helping them overcome? All right. So I think I went long enough there. Um, what questions do you have on identifying that ideal patient? Yes. Uh, thanks, Chad. Um, <clears throat> well, I think that you hit the nail on the head i think that we're all looking at um middle age uh from young middle age to slightly older middle-aged women possibly um and uh you know men as well but uh they are actually probably my favorite customer as well um whether it be back pain shoulder pain hip pain or something like that uh they do i've had one patient that said paul i i tell all my friends about you and so um uh, you're exactly right. I think, you know, young kids going to go off to high school or college and he's doing his other thing, do, doing, doing his own thing. So um, I agree that that would be my favorite type of patient. Awesome. Thanks, Paul. Christian. Um, so if I'm, you suggest that uh, doing a workshop, let's say would be the first thing. What, what would, how do you, like I, I'm, I do newsletters to past patients and I also do um, um, some emails, uh, qu quick question emails. Um, I haven't done a workshop in a while because most recently my email questions were not, no one, no one wanted more information on, I did a thing on shoulders. Do you suggest I go and pay Facebook for a, a um, list of customers or, you know, how they can target middle-aged women. I think they can break it down like that or families. I'm not sure exactly how Facebook or Google uh, and what you pay, what is A, the budget for that? And B, would you suggest doing that in our local area, you know, five mile radius or something from my clinic? Okay. So let, let's break this down uh, farther. That is a loaded question. It's going to take me a minute or two to go through this one. So um First of all, I think you go through this exercise, you know, and it sounds like you've already done this. You're on the same page and you're thinking this is the person that I want to go after. The next thing that you're going to do is you're going to think through what types of media do they use, right? So 
I, I'll rattle 10 off the top of my head. So print. There's likely a, a local something in their mailbox in your area that they're looking at. So it might be a coupon clipper. Um, we have a weekly thing called, uh, I think it's called the savings guide and, and it, it, four of our seven clinics hits the mailboxes there. Um, and we will do an insert. Um, but there's some sort of print or direct mail option that you have. The next one is radio. So radio is dying. It's not dead. We have a station in our area called Wink 104 and all the moms listen to that station if they're, if they're still listening to radio, right? So that's an option. In that case, we paid uh, Denny Logan who came through as a patient and we, we buy his airtime and he just talks and he's been on the air for 20 years. Everybody knows who he is. And uh, he'll just talk about his experience with us when we buy airtime from him. So that could be an example. Um, TV. We'll do, we'll buy 30 minute ads, right? And talk about, so these are before and after interviews of the ideal target market, the avatar. And before I went in for physical therapy, life was horrible. And now I'm back again, right? So we're telling that we're telling that transformation story. So that's four different media types. Um, billboard we don't use, but that's an option if you find that your target demographic in your area is responding to billboard. Um, that kind of rounds out the legacy media online. So, and we're talking specifically about cold traffic, attracting them in, right? And I haven't talked about workshops yet at all. Workshops are a conversion mechanism. They're not a, they're not a mark, they're not a marketing method. It's just a, it's just an offer, right? And I'll come back to that here in a second. So online. I would start with Facebook, highest user ship, and especially for that demographic. It's changed a lot. So 2014 through 2017, we could target very, very specific in demographics. They changed the rules. So this happens with all online media. It's wild, wild west. Right now it's TikTok. Everybody runs there and they don't know how to handle you know, the fastest growing entertainment platform in the history of the world, which is TikTok. And anything goes, those rules are going to change, right? O over time, and the guidelines are going to come in. They're going to be more restrictive. Yeah, just so, quick second, uh, a little uh, a forty-five year old women on TikTok. Yes, it's the fastest okay. growing demographic on there. How how long do you think they spend on there on average in a day? Huh. I have no idea. <laughs> Two hours and three minutes. There is a lot of it. Remember, with all marketing, you're simply trying to grab attention. You have to go where their attention already is. You, you can't change it, right? So if I'm advertising in the newspaper, my target demographic isn't using the newspaper. I, I'm just wasting dollars, yes. right? So I want to be where they are. Um, uh, uh, by the way, all this information available online, it's you can go find it uh, very, very easily with Google or any AI or anything like that. So Meta is Facebook and Instagram. We go there. Um, we ask, <laughs> like I literally just, I talk with the target demographic. I'm in the tar target demographic age range now. So I just talk with my friends that I grew up with that are, you know, and, um, and like, what are you on? You know, and I see you on Instagram. I see you doing this. Show me how you interact with it. Um, TikTok is an, another example. Google, we're going to put a huge asterisk by because typically 
the person going to Google is not completely cold. They're high awareness, right? So if you think about the experience with Facebook or Instagram or TikTok, I'm scrolling, 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 and I get smacked with an ad for shoulder pain, right? Or knee pain or whatever it is, right? I'm not thinking about that. I'm not searching. I'm looking at pictures of my kids who are off in college or my friends, grandchildren or whatever it is. And then all of a sudden I'm interrupted. It's a very different media than Google where I'm going there and I'm searching physical therapy near me or shoulder treatment in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, right? It's very, very different. So the awareness level is high. The search, and this is how insane this is, Paul. Search volume for back pain nationally is lower than the search volume, than uh, how many people we touch with our Facebook ads in one month for back pain in central PA. Does that make sense? So like we can target more people in my 50 mile radius where our clinics are here in central Pennsylvania than we can touch nationally. The, the, the search volume is not there. And that's something that most of us as practice owners don't understand. It's not like 300 million people are searching back pain every month that or whatever the whatever we're talking about. The search volume is actually quite low. So it, typically that person is very high level awareness. They've had physical therapy before or whatever your treatment is that you're offering. Um, so it, it, it's a little bit different to try to catcher it's a very small pond that you're playing in with google now youtube is interruptive and we we've had good tests there for our clinics um in in terms of youtube so that's very similar that's using short form video and advertisement um and then so i just mentioned five so i gave you five offline five online there's 10 different media types that you can at least look at now email is not cold market Right. So email, you're emailing people who are already on your list. They've likely have come to your facilities already, received treatment, right? They already know, like, and trust you. They're high level awareness. You know, it, it, it's a different marketing motion than going to the completely cold market. Mm-hmm. The reason that I talk about workshops so much is it is the, it's the most effective way to get commitment from somebody who is completely cold because it relies on patient education. So I know if somebody is willing to hop in their car and drive to see me and listen to me babble about rotator cuff and shoulder problems for an hour, they're highly committed, right? So I take somebody who's completely cold, who's not thinking about PT, and now they're signing up for treatment. That's what I'm trying to do. And guess what? You can do that with a million has to deliver value. So you could do it with a report. You could do it with a book. You could do it with a short form video. You can do it with a million other ways to provide patient education, right? I prefer the the in-house workshop. And yes, we've tested workshop on demand and virtual, and I've done all of that stuff. By far, live live workshops are our best converter. We run two a month at all of our clinics but it's not the only thing that we do by any means. Budget. And I'll end on this one. Sorry, Gary. Uh, <laughs> the lo- loaded question from Paul. But um, wh- so average 
private practice is spending uh, investing less than two percent of their gross revenue in in marketing. That's anemic, right? And the the killer for us, especially in an area uh, in an era of shrinking reimbursements, is underutilized space, which is like physical clinic space and schedules. We're in the game of filling schedules and filling space, right? Otherwise, we're paying for an asset that we're is really a liability now. It's something that we're paying for every single month or every two weeks with our payroll. And we're not like if either one of those are empty, we're we're quickly losing money to the point of like no margin or you know, negative, negative margin. So uh yeah, and to think that. So that the national average, I believe, in the latest study that I looked at was 1.9% of our gross revenue. So if you have a million-dollar practice seeing 200 visits a week, that practice, on average, is spending $20,000 a year in marketing. That is very low, right? My guess is, unless that person had like a mass exodus of clinicians over the last three years, which is more common today than it was three years ago, um, but unless they're down clinicians, that they're actually losing a lot of money by not investing more in their marketing, trying to fill space and schedules. The What we have used for years is in a new clinic, when we open a new clinic, 10% of the, the revenue is invested in marketing. Over time, we'll get more and more efficient. And the lowest that will go, like Harrisburg here, um, our most established clinic, 20 almost 20 years exactly to the date that we opened here and uh about two-thirds of the new patients that come through our word of mouth referrals or past patients that are reactivated so that's where our patient newsletter and emails come in and uh here we'll get down to like eight percent of the gross revenue so realize that this clinic did three million in revenue last year like we're that means that we're investing $240,000 a year, $20,000 a month in marketing for this practice, right? So we, we have a budget, but our, we just opened another clinic a month ago and they'll start at, you know, with three or $4,000 a month until the, the volume gets up and we're, you know, surpassing $40,000 a month in revenue. And then we'll, we'll match that 10% until that clinic is mature and the space is full. And then we'll try to get more and more efficient you know, go from 10% to 9.5% to 9 to 85 And briefly, could you run down what that marketing budget, what split it in, in you know, that 10%, what do you add, what do you spend the money on for that new clinic? So in a brand new clinic, there's no patient list. So there's no patient newsletter. There's, uh, we do have email right away through Breakthrough um, that we're, you know, even when it's N equals one, we're still emailing that person. Um, right now it's predominantly, uh, Facebook. So meta Facebook and Instagram and a so print paid, paid Facebook, paid Facebook. Yep. But you pay for the list or what do you do? Two grand a month. Okay. L literally breakthrough is running our ad. So I, I know you're thinking like that, uh, that I know what I'm doing in Facebook. I have no idea. I'm a practice owner like all, <laughs> but we have the team right at breakthrough that has been, I mean, that's, I think they've been doing it for seven or eight years now for us, but they'll run our Facebook ads driving to a workshop or driving to an appointment. We have different campaigns, right? So 
we'll do $2,000 a month in, into that. And then we also, in all of our clinics, we always start with one online, one offline ad. So in Lank, that is in a, a clinics in Lancaster on the Fruitville, 1848 Fruitville Pike. And there's a local, I think it's called the Savings Guide. There, a locally ma- local mailer, and we advertise in that as well, right? So we advertise in those two places. Now, the, we also do, positions are almost impossible to get into in Lancaster. We've invested some there. It's not proved to be fruitful at all. I actually think we have zero physician referrals at that facility, um, but we did an attempt at that. And we also have an outreach effort to uh, local employers um, where we do partner workshops with them or we'll do lunch and learns with those employers. But for right now, it's predominantly advertising to the cold market. Just one more thing I wanted to add to that. Um, for targeting on Facebook, you can pick like your your criteria and when when you're setting up your ads or like if break if breakthrough were to run your ads and set them up for you, you're picking your target criteria in terms of your audience and how like who you want to to target your ads to, who you want to see your ads. And so you can target based on like a lot of different demographic factors like age, interests location, you can set like, yeah, whether you want people from five miles or 10 or 50 miles to see your ads, Facebook makes it, makes it really easy to, to target the exact people that, that you're trying to get into your practice. Yeah. Just to marry up from my comment before Facebook took away a lot of that. Um, the big one that they took away was income, but Andrea is exactly right. They still have age age and where, where they live, you know, where people live. I also just want to uh, call out that Laura put a comment in the chat. Sorry, Gary, we're going to get to you. Um, but Laura, Laura put her question in the chat. She said, so do you advertise the workshops in the target media location? Um, you might've answered that already. Yeah, we'll, we'll draw a radius around our clinic. So we use, um, we use an online tool to look at where our target demographic lives. Uh, we get very specific uh, down to the postal route. We understand where they live and where they shop. And um, then we we market specifically to those areas. Gary, ready for you. Okay. Yeah, thank you. Uh, no urgency, no problem. Now, my question earlier, you, we, you more or less kind of spoke to that already, and that have, had to do with trending trends. With the social media so you know how much is that changing 10 years ago maybe it was high highly facebook dominated that um that 45 to 64 age range our demographic here in a college town is very easy to diversify it's those women that you basically speak to and the college students uh, the college students do tell each other <laughs> about us, which definitely has helped us. I, I hear that occasionally, um, maybe frequently, but um, nevertheless, it's that it's the, the the women at home, the working moms, that's the demographic we definitely need to be, that we're targeting. Uh, so my question had to do with trends. And I mean, you spoke to how they're using TikTok more and that, that can't be overlooked and shouldn't be overlooked. So that essentially was my question. Great. I, I'm going to give you two principles here. Number one is uh, I was at a Dan Kennedy event. This is probably 2014. It was in Cleveland. And I heard him say this off the mic. 
um, during a break, but he was like, most people, uh, all media dies, but most people overestimate how fast that happens. Right. So yes, guess what? Radio is dead, but it's still here. Right. So it's, it's not what it was 30 years ago. Right. But it, it still exists. Um, so like never un underestimate that. So when you see like mass, like people fleeing an area, there's usually a, that always screams opportunity to me. Right. So like never forget that. The second one is understanding the life cycle of, uh, we'll call it social platform usership. Carl talks about this all the time. And it's one of the most simple and genius things that I've ever heard explain it. What and I know that being a father of six, I watched this happen as my five-year-old is walking around with a fake phone, literally all the time, like pretending that she's doing uh, social media stuff, which is uh, painful, painful for me to go through. But um, and like we restrict our kids with phone usage and all this other stuff. But what happens is the kids go somewhere to communicate with each other, right? And it doesn't matter what it is, you know. Facebook started on Harvard campus, you know, in 2003 or 2004, whatever it was. Right. And then what happens is they continue to use the platform as they grow, but the parents go there to see what their kids are doing. Right. That's, I never heard of discord and Twitch and all this other stuff, but now I'm going there because my kids are there. Like, what are you doing on? I remember first hearing about TikTok three years ago. And then like, I was like, oh, this will never, this will never land. And now it's landed pretty well. Uh, but it, so then the parents follow there and then the grandparents go there because, so they can follow along as well. So every single time there's a pretty common life cycle. It happened first with Facebook and then Instagram. Um, you know, TikTok is the fastest growing entertainment platform. They went from zero to a billion users in six and a half years. Um, it's worthwhile paying attention to. I have it on my phone. I hate the experience, but I'm not our I'm not our target demographic either. So we started testing there. Got we were getting leads right away, and I was like, "Wow, there's something there. How can we pour money more money into this?" Um, so that's the second big principle: is understand the life cycle when you're deciding where to go. I always pick one online, one offline when we're tar when we're doing the target market, and I'll throw in a bonus principle for you here, Gary. Jim Collins talks about this. I want to say this is good to great, but it could be one of his other books. He talks about bullets, then cannonballs. And what he would, what he said is basically you're on a ship, you see the enemy approaching and you have a big pile of gunpowder. And he said, what a lot of people do in business is they take that entire, all that gunpowder and they fire a cannonball and they miss the target. So now they're out of gunpowder and it's a problem. And he said, what's much smarter and viable is you take a little bit and you fire a bullet and then you recalibrate and then you fire another bullet and then you recalibrate and then you fire another bullet. So for all of our, so we have, uh, I'm trying to think, we have essentially an $800,000 marketing budget for our clinics per year, huge marketing budget. We, we invested $1,200 in a small bullet in testing TikTok. And within the first 30 days, I think we had seven patients, seven plans of care come through. And I was like, okay, like we can, and I look for one-to-one. -one. So if we can spend a thousand and get a plan of care back, I'll, I'll 
I'll go farther. So that's what I'm looking for in a bullet. Then now we're thinking, well, how can we pour more money into this and get it more efficient at the same time? So can I go to 2,400 and get the same economics? And then, you know, ultimately I'm thinking, can we spend six grand a year or six grand a month, seven grand a month on TikTok driving to all our clinics? But that is bullets and then cannonballs. Does that make sense? Cool. Andrew, Thank you. You're welcome. Great questions, by the way. Kimberly shared an idea in the chat. She said something that we do on top of what Chad has mentioned is new movers mailing. It's a series of four postcards to new folks near our clinic. Hope, hope this helps. Thanks for sharing that, Kimberly. I have a few questions that were pre-submitted from people who registered um, that we can jump to, but I want to give everyone here the opportunity to, to chime in if you'd like. I did have one other question with regard, with regard to the message part of the uh, market message media match uh, concepts. Um, Chad, are you relying entirely on breakthrough to make sure that the, the message or the, the type of, let's say, for example, the Facebook ad, uh, the, what that looks like? Uh, whether it's uh, an image or a video and what the uh, the text is, relying on breakthrough entirely to format that? All right, I'm going to give you a complex answer. B before I met Carl, so, and this is a, a little bit of uh, transparency on my history. So, had figured out a lot with offline marketing. Gary could write, um, took a lot of copy courses early, um, had done the research, right? I would, every time I would have an ideal client or an avatar success, what was life like before? What's life like now? And I was, so, and I was capturing in their words. So, I mean, another thing that we teach all the time is how to capture, uh, handwritten testimonials. And I was very familiar with, using light language offline. I could not figure out how to, and I was trying to build my own funnels and all this other stuff. And Carl can do this with his eyes closed, right? And uh, had teams of people doing this. And he was like, hey, you know, what are you trying to advertise? And I was like, workshops. And he said, show me what you're doing that's working well. And I showed him this massive long copy. And in a weekend, they took it. And by the way, I'd paid like over, I think it was $108,000 of hiring other people trying to like build what I was doing offline online. And it was a lot of failure. And, uh, and he was like, yeah, let me, um, you have the copy here. Let me put this into ads. So like I was the control right now with, I mean, we, Carl and Andrea are part of an entire team that they're constant, they're testing images. They're testing, uh, different headlines they're testing what the landing page looks like the color scheme on the landing page like they're they've taken it so much farther than the initial success and by whatever it was in the beginning when we could get like two dollar facebook leads um which was you know that just wild wild west uh i mean we were you would get like 100 registrants for a workshop right that that is with maturation of media that usually goes away so we knew that that was going to be pretty short-lived but now what it is, is the breakthrough team is constantly testing, seeing what works. 
And I'll give an example. Um, that's a good one. So we have a clinic in Shrewsbury. This is our COVID clinic. We literally just knocked down the wall. We opened it the March 9th, 2020. So the week that COVID hit central Pennsylvania, that clinic opened. Second month, we had one new patient. It was dev- devastating. Uh, I know Matt was a director for another large um, PT company. He had left that and like come to open this clinic up with us. Like he was not happy. Right. And uh, so like we went through um, that whole process right now, if you fast forward to today, I mean, I think they're at 370, 370 visits this week. They're knocking down the wall. This is three years later. And the one thing that happened is this clinic was crushing it. So I think in Q1, they had 60 new patients come through breakthrough methods, right? Which is a very healthy flow, 20 new patients a month from this. The team had switched uh, a type of advertising that was being done um, across the board because they we get to see a lot of data nationally, right? So they had switched and something was working in Shrewsbury that wasn't working across the country. And the, the CPL like rose, right? The cost per lead rose right away. So our advertising got more expensive. We noticed it. We went back to the team. We said, hey, what's going on here? I didn't do any of this. You know, this is Tyson and uh, James and Megan, you know, working with the everybody at Breakthrough that runs the ads. And they were like, hey, what was the change? They put the change and then they just literally reverted it back within 24 hours. And then we saw our advertising go up again. So I was the control in terms of copy, not the control in terms of online execution, but the Carl built a team that handles that for us. Does that help answer your question? Yes. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Thank you. Good. Great question, Gary. By the way, Andrea, if somebody wanted to learn more, what's the best way for them to do that? In terms of uh, what we do with with practices. Yeah, you can um, request a free strategy call and you could get in touch with somebody at Breakthrough and they could run through kind of what your practice, what challenges you're experiencing today in your practice, uh, what goals you have, um, and kind of talk through some of the specific strategies that might be a best fit for you, given where you are at today in your practice. Um, so let me, I can put that link in here for you. Gary, I think you had a pre-submitted question as well. I'm going to read that. You want me to read it? Um, I, I think I have it here. You got um, it. Right. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Requests are coming by email directly from the site. So people are going to your website. Can you outline the critical steps, points in training the front desk and handling these inquiries? Our pull through is good, but I want it to be the best. So give me like an idea, what percentage of people who submit an eval request on your website come in for an eval? I'd say 75, 80%. That's pretty good. Okay, good. Just making sure we're on the same page. I mean, we're not, it's not an astronomical volume, but it's, you know, to us as a small practice, it's important. Yeah. Yeah. So I respond personally by email to start a dialogue about their problem. I think that's best practices. What's the best practice for the scheduler? Call, text, email the message. Um, I'm going to answer this backwards for you. Do you do you look at how your front desk, your scheduler responds to the emails? 
Yes, because she copies me on the emails. Wonderful. Never stop doing that. Um, and here's what we'll what we do. Um, so if let's say you have an 80% pass rate, right? 80% of the time she's having su- success, I would pull out one success each week, one failure each week or each month, whatever time period you want to look at. And then just say, what did you do well here? In the good ones. And then in the ones where they fail, what did you do well? What could you have done better? More important for her to improve her competency than for most of us do top-down management where we we like we want to find the best answer and then deliver it to the scheduler. Mm-hmm. Way better <laughs> for her significantly easier if she is starts asking herself those questions and figures out her and by the way they're varied so we have seven clinics in a relatively small area what works in dolphin does not work in hershey and they're 20 minutes apart so again more more important for her to um speak the local language Mm -hmm. and get a sense um of where people are at and converting them over. I will tell you that 75 to 80%, it'll be, it'll be hard to get it over 90%. Um, But, and at the same time, realize they're highly aware, right? So if, if I go to your website and I request an appointment, I know that I want physical therapy and I've already decided that I want it with you. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. Um, And, and do not mistake that skill set for converting somebody cold off of a, you know, online or offline advertising. They're, they're very different worlds. Um, but it starts with exactly what you have here, asking good questions. Let me ask you a follow-up on that. Yeah. She seems to do better on the phone. Her, her email skills don't seem to be as strong. They're more direct. I'd be happy to schedule you an appointment, provide me this information. And then when we when she accepts a phone call from someone who's interested in an appointment, she seems like she's able to kind of break down that barrier pretty quickly and start to create create a relationship. Is it nowadays with how busy people are and you know the the, the tendency for people to want to text and not talk on the phone? Is it a mistake to to try to have the follow up be a phone call as opposed to an email? I, I would test it. Can I okay. give you a call? Email. Can I give you a call? Text. Is it okay to call? Right. Yeah, Ask there you go. yeah. Something that's if, if her competency is there and they're willing to accept that, I, I would route as many people as possible over there. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. You're welcome. We uh, also had a question. Um, I know we're getting really close to the top of the hour. Um, I wanted to try to fit in Kate's question um, since I see her on here. Um, Kate's question was, she's most interested in strategies to identify and avoid non-compliant patients. Kate, can you give me any specifics there? So while you're doing that, anytime that we see high non-compliance, and by that I'll define people who come in for the eval or the first appointment, who don't schedule a plan of care or they schedule the plan of care and they quickly drop off like one or two visits in. I'm, I'm assuming that 
that's what you mean there. The very first place that we look is the, the eval. So what is the clinician doing on day one? Um, and that includes I'll, I'll sit in on the eval or the clinical director will sit in. A um, little nerve wracking for the clinician, especially if they have some experience. But almost every time that I'm in there and I see some sort of uh, noncompliance or massive drop off, the clinician is usually dropping something out. We have a seven step process. I wrote about this again in the book and we have multiple resources, but it's called the seven step exam or the seven step killer exam. And typically what the clinician is doing is they're dropping out one of those things. It's, it's a pretty simple game. I'll start there. Um, if I don't find anything there, which is rare, then we'll back it up to what's the communication look like from the front desk. Is there some sort of upset there? Um, very rarely will I get to the third level, which is looking at our advertising. When we do that, the most common thing that will change is uh, exclude an area. So there are some pockets here, um, for example, in central Pennsylvania, uh, 17103 off the top of my head just isn't a good zip code for us. Um, it's, yeah. I'll, I'll just avoid it. Um, yeah. Anytime that we think about this, look at what is in common for your most non-compliant patients. Once you've gone through what the clinician is doing and you've looked at that, what the front desk is doing and you looked at that, then look at how you're advertising and, and see if there's a way that you can suppress or eliminate an area and divert those marketing dollars to an area where you're getting more compliance. I'm going to send a link right now. Um, this is a plan of care um, template. And I believe in that resource, um, it lists out the seven steps of the seven-step killer exam that Chad just mentioned. All right. Um, well, I think we're at the top of the hour. If you have any other questions, feel free to um, email, email us. You can reach out to me at andrea at getbreakthrough.com. And I can uh, forward your questions to Chad. Um, I'll also resubmit the link um, for scheduling a strategy call if you'd like to talk through um, your specific practice practice goals and, and strategies uh, to support those. So thank you so much, everyone, for your participation. This was a really engaging and awesome session. And thanks, Chad, for all of your insights. How low does your profit margin have to go before you decide to do something about it? In this video, I'm going to share three sessions with you in the upcoming Patient Demand Summit that I think are going to affect your bottom line in a positive direction. The first one is steps for negotiating insurance contracts and diversifying your payer mix. We all know that we have certain payers, especially if we're participating with insurance companies that are our lowest and they might be capped. You know, we talk with some practice owners that are getting, you know, 50, 60, 70 dollars a visit and that's not even covering their cost to provide the care. So in this session, we're gonna be talking with Mary DeLong and Bob Kowalik, people that have been doing this literally for decades. They have a ton of experience of helping other owners, and they're gonna be sharing exactly how you can go through and negotiate better rates. The next session, which I really think you're gonna love, is with a practice owner, Deepak Sharma. Deepak uh, owns a practice in Edmonton, uh, physio practice and he went from working 80 plus hours a week down to 16 and big secret is I know factually that some weeks he actually works zero he treats zero in the clinic so many of us want to go from working 
in our business, treating all the time to working on our business. And this is in this session, we're going to be covering exactly how Deepak did that. And finally, we're going to have a practice owner panel. And on that panel, we're going to be specifically discussing cash pay products and services that you can add in your practice. And here's the deal. Everybody that's going to be on that panel, this is real world in the trenches. They're dealing with the same problems, declining reimbursements, impossible job environment to hire a clinician in. They're dealing with all the same problems that you and I are as practice owners. So we're going to be getting from them exactly what they've added uh, regarding cash pay services, how they present it, how they've rolled it out with their staff, all the common pitfalls that you and I fall into whenever we're trying to roll out a new service and make a change with our practice model. You're gonna love that session as well. So the Patient Demand Summit is on Thursday, May 25th. Again, that's a Thursday. It's from 12 noon to 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So that's Thursday, May 25th, Patient Demand Summit. Uh, those We not only have those three sessions, there are five other sessions as well. They're all geared specifically to help you increase your profit margin and ultimately improve your bottom line so that you can keep your doors open and continue to serve the area that you're in. However, you do have to register. This is a virtual event. It is free. You do have to register. So there should be a link here. Make sure you click on the link, register, and I will see you at the Patient Demand Summit. Remember to visit GetBreakthrough.com to access our free resource library designed specifically for private practice growth. While you're there, make sure you register for a complimentary growth assessment to learn about potential opportunities for growth in your local market. Again, thank you for tuning into the Grow Your Practice podcast and supporting our mission to help people in pain get back to normal naturally.